2: Middle of the week as we welcome you along. As always, we love to hear from you throughout the morning and talking. Of course, they're already coming in to John Paul this morning, including one that's just come in from uh, Vincent, uh, who is a bit taken aback by this because it's never happened to him before. He needed to get his repeat prescription from his GP. Now, he says what he's been doing, and I'm assuming he's been doing this certainly since COVID began Maybe he was doing it before. Normally just, you know, it's every six months, needs a repeat prescription, picks up the phone, rings the GP, explains, I'm I'm assuming doesn't speak to the GP, will speak to uh, one of the secretaries there. Hi, this is Vincent. Need my repeat prescription. This is my chemist. And they, they sent off the prescription. So he rang anyway and they said, oh, sorry, we've, we're changing the way we're doing it. Can you email in what you require, your prescription and put your details on it and then we'll sort it out for you. So Vincent said, no problem. Obviously, the GP practice very busy at the moment, easy for him to do it. So he got onto his computer. Popped off the email and sent it off and then he got a return email back from the GP practice to say that's all okay, that prescription has gone through, ready for collection at the chemist that you nominated. And then there was a link attached for payment for the repeat prescription for €20 and Vincent said he's never been charged before for repeat prescriptions and he was wondering now is this common practice? I've been paying for a repeat prescription in my GP practice. So I don't know if it was pre-COVID time, Certainly, right throughout uh, COVID, and I actually can understand it. There's, an, you know, there's work involved within the GP practice to get a repeat prescription organised. Now I know they're all done electronically. They're all there was the time where you where you would look for a repeat prescription. You'd have to physically go down and collect it. Now they're all emailed straight to the the chemist to your chemist which I think is a great system and I think that's working really well but certainly I've been charged at my GP practice and I thought it was common practice but according to Vincent wherever his GP is it's a new one and he's wondering uh, are there others still doing it for free or is it as I'm assuming quite a common practice that people have been paying for repeat prescriptions and there's been a new a couple of years ago they also brought in there was a new charge involved if you get blood And it's for the courier service to take the bloods from the GP up to the hospital, even though there won't be bloods done today with the scientists all on a one day, one day strike. Uh, And it's the same, isn't it, for somebody who's got a medical card, you've got to pay a contribution towards the cost of getting the bloods up to the uh, hospital. So anyway, this is on the issue, though, of repeat prescriptions. Am I right in saying that all GPs now are charging it and that Vincent's been getting away? Likely with his GP that they've only started to introduce the charge for 20 euro. Now, I have to say, I haven't seen it done that way where a link is sent by email for uh, payment. What Certainly what happens in my case is, is when I'm next at the doctor I'll pay for any repeat prescriptions I would have had uh, if for the previous uh, six months or however long it had been. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls and he also tells me this morning he's already had a few calls in from people who are trying to access their air email when they try and log on, it tells them that the service is down. But some callers to the programme this morning are saying that it's been down for the last 24 hours, which is a bit unusual because often a server can go down, but it'll only go down for so many hours and then it'll be back up. If it's been up for 24 hours, that could be a major problem uh, um, for air. Anyway, we are getting on to air to see if they can let us know exactly what is happening uh, there and seeing as I mentioned COVID uh, times the government were very much focused on COVID times yesterday as well when they decided to extend the emergency COVID-19 legislation the one that allows for the pubs and the restaurants to serve alcohol in outdoor seating areas. Now, the Cabinet have now approved a six-month extension onto the legislation and it is now bringing it up to the end of November this year because it was due to end, the legislation was due to end at the end of This month, the end of May, so a couple of weeks away and it would have meant if the legislation ended, it would have meant pubs and restaurants who have been serving alcohol and food outside their premises and have been doing it very successfully, particularly during COVID times when nobody was allowed indoors. It would have meant they'd have to remove those uh, tables and chairs. Now, the outdoor legislation applies to outdoor seating areas that have been approved by the relevant local authority. So it isn't just a case that a pub or a restaurant or a cafe can decide, oh, there's a nice area outside my door there, I'll stick out some tables and chairs. They need to go to their local authority first and the local authorities have been very obliging to the majority of pubs and uh, restaurants. They've given them the uh, approval and then it allows for the seating areas on public land. Now that can be on a footpath or it can be on the adjoining area of a licensed premises and in some cases of course the local authorities got involved in putting seating areas actually out on the roadway where parking spaces once were and they've built those wooden seated areas. That's been mainly for Uh, cafes. Alcohol now can continue to be sold in these outdoor areas under this legislation until 11pm at night but they have to stop serving alcohol at 11pm and it was the Justice Minister Helen McEntee, she was speaking yesterday, she said the emergency legislation was being extended ahead of what everyone hopefully hopes will be, a busy summer period. And she said she's brought forward the legislation yesterday. As an, She brought it forward, firstly, as an emergency uh, measure. So in order to, to put it on a more permanent footing, she said it's something that she's hoping to do. But in order to do that, she needs to introduce legislation. What she did yesterday was still an emergency uh, measure. She's hoping that to have a draft of a bill before the summer doll recess and her intention then is it would be enacted later on this year and I suppose her thought pattern is if this emergency legislation is to run out at the end of November I suppose her thought pattern is that if she can have the bill through that that would be enacted later in the year so that the emergency legislation would end and then the new bill would be in place and it would put it on a more permanent footing. It's the civil law miscellaneous provisions Act. It, it was introduced last July and it allows for the sailing consumption of alcohol in, as I say, it's got to be relevant outdoor seating uh, areas, and at the time when it was introduced, it was a measure put in place. It was to support the hospitality sector, who were the ones who really, really did suffer during the, uh, the pandemic. Now, you know, she spoke about the fact that most of the emergency measures relating to COVID have uh, finished up. And we're thankful that a lot of the emergency legislation, because it was the ones that were really curtailing us for very obvious reasons. But they've all finished up. But this is one she feels that needed to be extended. Now, the hospitality sector representatives very, very much welcome. Uh, this news uh, yesterday but they also are agreeing with Helen McEntee that it does need to be put on a more permanent uh, footing. The Vintners Federation, they're the group that represent all of the thousands of pubs outside of the Dublin area very much welcomed the news yesterday from the Minister. They say that Covid accelerated a growing trend towards outdoor drinking and dining so they're welcoming uh, the news in recognition of what what, what, where a sizable percentage of the hospitality trade now finds uh, itself and obviously the Restaurant Association of Ireland they've welcomed the news and they've been actually calling on the Minister to extend this uh, piece of legislation. So Interested in your thoughts on it. You see it as a positive move. Too many people like the idea of dining al fresco. I know when this was first mooted and when this was first brought forward as emergency legislation, people were saying, yeah, eating outside is fine. But we need to get the weather for it. Now, a lot of the restaurants and the pubs have adapted with their outdoor seating area that they've got covered outdoor seating area. They've got heated outdoor seating area. But certainly when the sun shines, there's nothing like sitting and eating outside. And isn't it something that we always love about when we go on a foreign holiday? We love the idea that we can sit out and have our lunch and sit out in the evening time and have our food. And we like to do it in this country as well. And we just weren't equipped enough. We didn't have enough of these outdoor seating uh, areas. So it's going to go, certainly we're going to see a lot more of the outdoor seating area or what we've seen in the last couple of years is going to continue for this year. So your thoughts, welcome is it a good move what the Minister has done yesterday? Now I know already Sean from Mallow is very much against it. Now one of his his thought on it is firstly he feels there's too too many parking spaces have been lost around our county towns uh, with these outdoor dining uh, areas and he also says some of the footpaths particularly in um, tourist areas he said are very cluttered Uh, he feels that the extension wasn't necessary and it was okay when we needed it during Covid times but he says we need to go back to the old traditional way if you want food then you go inside to eat or or to drink a lot of calls in from people saying yes uh, uh, and letting uh, Vincent know that he's been getting away light by not being charged for his prescription Alison has summed up Alison uh, one of the many calls saying yes I've been charged for repeat prescriptions but Alison said she recognized the charge only came in about six months ago she said up to that at her GP practice the prescriptions repeat prescriptions were always free you just put the call through and they sent them on to your uh, chemist Column said I paid 20 euro for my repeat prescription I'm okay with that because if I had to physically go in to see the doctor it would cost me 70 euro at my GP practice also says column, there can be a very long wait for an appointment everyone is talking about that at uh, the doctor's practices now gone are the days you could ring up and get a same day appointment literally it 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 just doesn't seem to happen you can get a telephone consultation sometimes that works but for a lot of other people they want to physically go in and eyeball their doctor and actually speak with him or her and somebody says please don't mention my name or where I'm from from, but don't talk to me about repeat prescriptions I'm paying for them uh, 20 euro for a long time now and I'm on the same medication for the last 7 years but This list says big bugbear at the moment is they were always a six month repeat prescription. But the last time I went for, for one, yes, I was charged 20 euro, but I only received a three month repeat prescription. I sorted that. I'm taking my medication every second day. I'm not a cash cow for my GP. Now, I'd be careful about only limiting your medication to every second day. What I would say to you is you should ring the GP practice and ask why you only got a three month prescription when you always get a six month prescription and the fact that you're on the same meds seven years, so obviously the meds are suiting you and that you don't need to even go need to see the doctor, I would challenge them on it, particularly when you've been charged the same amount. So why you know, why should you why should you have to pay another twenty euro in three months, get back onto the G P because maybe it was just a typing error you never know. Yesterday the cabinet agreed the legal framework to allow the new National Maternity Hospital to relocate to a site beside St Vincent's Hospital in Dublin. There's been calls on the government to delay making the decision to allow for more scrutiny of the plan. Fianna Gale's health spokesperson, Deputy Colin Burke, joins me to discuss why he thinks this was the right decision. Good morning to you, Colin. morning. And it's great to have you sitting opposite me. We can eyeball each other live in studio. Now, I suppose the big bone of contention was the possibility of religious influence being used at the hospital you say that that won't happen
3: that will not happen because I think there was a clear message sent to us the uh, St. Vincent's healthcare group were in before us on um, on, um, Monday and they clearly set out that there is no religious ethos um, that they are governed by And that the no religious ethos can in any way um, come and interfere with the management of the running of the new maternity hospital. And I think it's extremely important that that's it. And that's in the Constitution as well um, that they have that he cannot in any way um, interfere with the running of the hospital. So, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, there's over 52 consultants in the uh, National Maternity Hospital as is, all of them are satisfied with the guarantees that they have received and that there cannot, and the way the legal framework is established, that there cannot be in any way in, an interference. And I think it's important as well, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the legal title. The, St. Uh, instance, uh, healthcare um, holdings are uh, giving a 299-year lease and 299-year lease is good legal title. The landlord cannot interfere in any way with how the tenant stroke lessee uh, manages or runs the building. So the lessee is going to be the HSE. In other words, they are going to be the tenants. They, they get a lease for 299 years. And a large amount of residential property in this country, it could well be up to 40% of residential and commercial property in this country, is held under a leasehold title, mm. which is good legal title. Yeah, um, yeah. And,
2: and I think, you know, the, the, particularly on the religious ethos, I mean, the Sisters of the Charity have no say at all in the running of, of St. Vincent's.
3: No, no, they're, they've they now divested them completely themselves divested, completely yeah. uh, of all interests in the property. Um, The St. Vincent's Hospital Holdings. Um, the, it's, the sisters have no, uh, no involvement of any description now. It's all been handed over to a separate company. They have no one on the board. Likewise, in relation to um, the new National Maternity Hospital, which is going to be a board of nine, uh, three people from the National Maternity Hospital, uh, three people nominated by the Minister for Health and three people who are coming from the St. Vincent's group. And the reason for that is because there's a partnership. And remember the reason for the co-location. Say for our like you have someone who is um, who is pregnant and they also have cardiac problems. The expertise is there in St. Vincent's to deal with that where it wouldn't that be. That wasn't in uh, Hollis Street. That wouldn't be in Hollis Street. Yeah. And the other thing is that there's over 250 consultants in St. Vincent's group. Um, Outside of the National Maternity Hospital in Hollis Street, there's over 250. So there's a a, a range of expertise that's going to be next door to them. And the reason why it needs to be, this is a partnership. It's a partnership between the HSE, the National Maternity Hospital, and um, the St. Vincent's group. So that's why it's a board of nine people. And I think okay. that's a very fair. Yeah, and, uh,
2: and co location, if you look internationally, it's best practice for a maternity hospital. Absolutely, to be, because to be it's, co- to be it, it's.
3: And we've done it in Cork, for instance. We moved uh, the Ironville, St. Fimbers and then the Bonsacours uh, maternity unit closed as well. So they're now all based in uh, the C.H. CUH uh, campus. campus. Yeah. And all that expertise is available. And it's so important. Um, I remember, you know, getting access to specialist care is so crucial, uh, especially if something um, suddenly appears and you need expertise, not in an hour's time, not in two hours time, but you need it within a very short time frame in order to save. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't
2: happen often, but it does happen in small it, percentage cases it does ev- happen. every single year. And of course, the other problem with Hollow Street, it's an old building.
3: It's an old building, and I mean, for instance, one of the wards has 14 beds in it. It's hard has a, to
2: believe that there's women having yeah. babies in a ward with 14 beds.
3: Yes. And, and it has, uh, you know, inadequate toilet facilities. So like you need all of the proper supports in place and we need to move into to anywhere in relation to, you know, whole issue. I suppose COVID highlighted this as well about infection control mm-hmm. um, and, it's, you know, the way uh, COVID spreads so easily. Uh, and it's so difficult to control and that was very difficult to control where you had uh, 14 people Absolutely. In, a, in a ward do, do, and, do and you I presume.
2: do you believe this is an important milestone for maternity services I think it is in, uh, in because Ireland?
3: you see we have three hospitals in, in, in Dublin the Rotunda the National Maternity Hospital and the Coombe and I mean you know they were fine for their at uh, the time that they were there but we need to know continue to upgrade and improve medical service and especially in relation to maternity care and i think it's extremely important and p- huge progress has been made in relation to maternity care over the last 20 25 years the uh, number of um you know adverse outcomes has reduced considerably um, and we have a huge level of expertise both in relation to nursing staff, in relation to care assistants, uh, in relation to the junior doctors, but also in relation to the medical consultants. And it's it's amazing how healthcare now, it's very much where people are sub as well, so that there's an expertise there. But that expertise then, you need to have that added expertise in relation to whether it's cardiac problems, whether it's a whole lot of other problems outside of gynae uh, and uh, maternity care, you need to make sure you have that support in place.
2: Yeah, and of course Sinn Fein are continuing to call for full public ownership uh, of both the hospital site and uh, the building. Um, that's not going. That's not going to happen.
3: No, and I think the reason why the St Vincent's Group have uh, given are giving a lease is that this is complex, and from a legal point of view, there's a lot of the um, services that are being jointly run, and that therefore they've believe that lease is the best way forward. It's interesting, though, during the Health Committee, we did have uh, a, a legal person in who was opposing the project. But when he was asked the question, you know, does he have an expertise in this area? He confirmed to everyone that he wasn't an expert in this area of law. And, you know, there has been no legal opinion produced by any of the opposition parties outlining that a lease of 299 years is bad title. I've been involved in the legal profession for over 25 years. I've dealt specifically with the purchase of uh, freehold interest dealing with leasehold title. This is good leasehold. This is good title and it has an independence. So the HSE has an independence. And remember what's happening is the HSE are getting a lease for 299 year lease. They are then giving a license to the new um, company that's set up to operate the facility. So they are answerable to the HSE and then the Minister has a golden share as well in relation to if something is not being provided, which is clearly in legislation that should be provided the minister can intervene so that's why the golden so shares lot, there
2: there's a lot of protection there's a lot of protection there for women and, and I can see a couple of our female listeners saying yes this is certainly a great day uh, for maternity services and people have waited lo- someone else is saying well, people have waited a long long time uh, for this co-location of maternity services and we in, still have a road to travel yeah, and that's and the other question that's, then, that's yeah. been asked can, can, yeah. has column any expectation as to when this hospital will be open
3: I think it's a huge challenge now in relation to the cost of any uh, buildings like we're having the same problem, say with schools, about the cost is rising all the time. And it's important that we get this project up and running in the same way as I want to get a new elective hospital for Cork up and running. And, you know, we've identified Sarsfield's court for that as a site for that, because in that case, the land is owned by the HSC, yeah. 117 acres. So there's no excuse for that project not to go ahead. But this one, this project needs to go ahead as well, and we need to know. You know, they've done a lot of work on the site already. Okay. Uh, um, but so it's the tendering process. It's a tendering and process that
2: can sometimes get they really a long yes, time, yes.
3: And, and the big issue now with tendering process is that people are very reluctant to tie themselves down to a fixed price because of the oh, way the rising uh, costs. The rising yeah, costs that there has to be a variation. I think with the National Children's Hospital, there's a variation that you know costs can go up by four percent, but once they go above four percent, then the uh, contractors are entitled to come back and claim for the, uh, the, the additional cost. Okay, so I think it's important, but I do think. That there is a problem, I think, within our public service, though, in relation to how we manage building projects. And, you know, we had the example, for instance, in Cantorock School, not that far away from here, where it went on for ad infinitum before the project eventually got up. And we were dealing in that case with over six, I think, six different state agencies, you know. So, you know, and very little coordination between the whole lot. And we need to get our act together on that because, you know, the world is moving far faster now than what it did 20 or 25 years ago. We knew we'd know to move far faster in relation to delivery of projects and that the paperwork involved doesn't go on, go on at infinitum And doesn't
2: get tied up in, in red tape. OK, yes. listen, we really appreciate you coming in uh, you're to very welcome. Uh, studio. And and I know uh, when you leave here, you're heading up to Collins Barracks uh, today. Uh, this is the... Uh, the the hundred year of the handover.
3: It's the hundred anniversary of the handover, Collins barracks, by the British establishment to um, Michael Collins, and um, today is the hundred anniversary of that event. Wow! And it's a very important event for Cork, but for the entire country, um, you know, where uh, the British establishment left the country, and we rece- we we achieved our independence. And I think it's an extremely important that we acknowledge and celebrate the all of the people that were involved in that in achieving that. And I know there was a conflict after, um, you know, the handover of these. But look, you know, I think it's important that we acknowledge people on all sides of that, uh, that they had a belief um, um, and, you know, we have enjoyed a huge freedom in this country. And, you know, you take yeah, because the cause of those people. There. Yeah. And if you take, you know, even in the last 10, 12 years in this country, how you know, we had a huge problem in this country where we had at least fifty to 60,000 young people having to leave the country because couldn't get employment. We have now over 700,000 extra people now working in this country. That is obviously creating its own problems. But at least young people now have a choice they can get a job here in this country or they can go and travel and get experience as well. But, but it's at a least choice. It's a choice that's yeah. there. And yeah. that choice wasn't there back in the 80s, in part of the 90s, and certainly in 2008, 2009, uh, right into you know the early 2000s. And uh, I suppose 14, 15, when we got yeah. that turnaround. OK, listen,
2: okay. Uh, enjoy that commemoration okay. uh, today, uh, Colm. And uh, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. That's Fina Gales Health Spoke. Wilson, uh, Deputy Columb Burke. Court today on C103
1: with John Cusack. Insurances Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: Interesting when I mentioned the repeat prescriptions, and it was kicked off by uh, Vincent, who got charged for a repeat prescription for the first time. And I thought that every GP practice had been doing it, certainly for the last year, if not uh, longer. Uh, and a number of listeners were agreeing with me and say, "Yes, my doctor has been." charging for the repeat prescriptions and most people understanding why. A couple of texts coming in from listeners saying their doctors still don't charge for repeat prescriptions so anyone that has a GP practice that isn't charging for for repeat prescriptions You're doing well. And can can I say you're certainly in the minority, certainly judging by the number of calls we are getting into the programme this morning with everybody saying they're charged for repeat uh, prescription. And I thought it was a kind of a flat 20 euro. John has been on uh, to say, Patricia, I got charged 30 euro at my GP practice for my repeat prescription. That was the other day. So do I assume it went from 20 euro to 30 euro? Again, everything is going up in price. Maybe the GP practices are, are struggling to make ends meet as well. Maybe maybe we're all going to see an increase in that as well. And then someone else said, did I hear you say that their doctor charged 70 euro for a visit? That seems outrageous. Yeah, that was one of our listeners who said that they get charged for for the for willingly pay the 20 euro because it will be 70 euro to go for the to a doctor again it varies in prices most it seems to be around the 60 euro mark to visit a GP but certainly we have heard from some people uh, to say that it is uh, 70 euro with some doctors Billy and Mbandon was on why did they choose to locate it in Dublin and in the city of Dublin and not outside in a Midlands location if it's to be a national maternity hospital they should put it at the, in the centre of the country and make it of equidistance yeah but you see the whole idea of the national maternity hospital Billy is it was going to be co-located with another hospital if you were to randomly select an area in the middle of the country there will be equidistance from everyone. It will be a standalone maternity hospital and it would be, wouldn't be co-located because we don't have a major hospital in the Midlands in which to co-locate a maternity hospital on. So hence the reason why it has gone. It will move from Holly Street onto the St. Vincent's uh, site. And just on the maternity hospital, this is from this morning from the to Leo Varadkar. He said that it would have been better if Fine Gael ministers had been given more time a fortnight ago by the health minister to examine the memo on the National Maternity Hospital. And he said he'd also spoken to Stephen Donnelly about, th- about that. Whoa, that looks like Leo Radker giving Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, a bit of a rap on the knuckles because that was one of the main criticisms of The cabinet signing off on it yesterday was that some of the criticism, certainly from opposition and from backbench uh, TDs, was that they felt that they needed more time to scrutinise the plan, even though I do think the religious ethos side of it is gone. I don't think there's that many people worried about that. I think everyone is quite happy with what St. Vincent's has clarified and the fact that St. Vincent's has their own constitution and that the nuns are no longer involved in St. Vincent, and haven't been for a good few years and they've actually di- divested all interest in St. Uh, Vincent. So I don't think anybody's worried about the religious ethos and that there would be a religious ethos that would st- be stopping a woman having a procedure. I think people are okay about that. But it's just the fact that they the state will not own the hospital. They will instead have this 299-year lease. And I know the Green member of the government, Green Party, uh, Nasa Horrigan, is certainly not happy. And we we still don't know if Sinn Féin are going to have a vote tonight on it or not. And if they do, it looks like Nasa Hor- Horrigan will vote against the government and that's going to put her in to direct conflict with her own Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan. So... There's more on this to play out. There certainly is more than this to play out, but the government have at least signed off on it. And many people are saying it is a good day for maternity services for the women of Ireland. And we will welcome that 0818 103 103. Now we've got this wonderful competition that we're running with the Mallow Homes and uh, Garden Festival which of course is one of the largest home and garden festivals in this uh, country. They're going to, they're expecting over 200 exhibitors. The one thing about the Mallow Home and Garden Festival which is run at the race course every year is the fact that they have these permanent gardens and the permanent gardens were put in place from the very first year of the festival and they're tweaked and some of them are redesigned every year but it's the maturity in some of the trees and the plants in the permanent garden that no other garden festival can do and that's that's one of the unique I think the unique selling points of the Home and Garden uh, Festival and of course throughout the three days of the festival they've got fantastic uh, free seminars our own Peter Dowd our own gardening expert, who will be joining us later on today, he'll be doing seminars at the Mallow Home and Garden uh, Festival, and they've very kindly given us a Parma Rattan modular sofa set. To give away on the program, and we'll give it away on Friday. And we look for a daily qualifier. We've had two qualifiers so far this week, and we're playing audio from a well-known person who has a love of garden, gardens, gardens, and gardening. And I have to say, this today's one is a little bit tricky. So I'm going to play it out now. Now I don't want you to enter. I just want you to spend time thinking about this particular person. She's somebody who has taken to gardening in a big way particularly during the pandemic when in fairness a lot of people took up gardening and she started sharing a lot of her garden pictures on
0: Instagram. Take a listen to this. You did what you thought was right. That's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much.
2: Let me play it again. <laughs> Trying to really listen to it.
0: You did what you thought was right. It's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much. And also, to care too much no I, I
2: will give you a clue that she is an actress, and it's it 's the uh, and now i I now know who this person is, and it 's the part she played she was she was in East Endress at one stage that 's the the big big clue i 'm going to uh, give you um but I would have to have Googled her real name. I would have known her name in EastEnders, but I'd have to have Googled her to find out exactly uh, who she is because even when I saw her name, I was going, oh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have known if, if that had been a question for the, the million euro in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I don't know if I would have got it correct. I could have given you, as I say, I can certainly give you the name of the character in EastEnders, but would I have known who her real name is? Take a listen again.
0: You did what you thought was right. It's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much. Okay, so I'll just playing it to give you a little bit
2: of a helping hand if you want to do a little bit of googling yourself. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe lots of people know exactly who uh, that actress, well-known actress is who has, said has really taken to gardening in a big way since the pandemic. And if you follow her on Instagram, then you'll know exactly who she is. Don't... Call us, text us, WhatsApp us yet on that one. We won't be doing that until later on. Today on the programme and of course today is Wednesday so it does mean P- Peter Dowdell will join us later on on the programme and if you have any gardening uh, questions, I spent a lot of time in the garden at the weekend, it was just lovely when the sun shines, it's great to get out and about and so therapeutic I feel to be in the garden.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Just to let you know we did get a response from Air Web Mail and this was to do with some calls in earlier this morning from AIR customers saying they couldn't access their email and could we find out what was going on. AIR tell us that there was an issue with their web mail but it got resolved yesterday but customers who connected while working uh, wh- when when the problem was ongoing would have seen a maintenance page come up and in some cases what hap- what's happening is customers are continuing to connect to the maintenance page and that's why we were hearing from some people saying for the last 24 hours they haven't been able to, t- to connect to their AIR web mail what people need to do you need to clear their cache and then try to reconnect and it should work then and they say the instructions are being shared with customers who call the webmail support line so clear your cache and then try to reconnect and you should be able to get on to your email hopefully that will be of help to people as they say contacted us earlier this morning now as we've been hearing on our news with Barry all morning. Medical scientists across the country are taking industrial action today. It's over long-standing pay and career development issues. The action means that routine lab services are being withdrawn until 8pm this evening and that's going to affect some hospitals and it's obviously going to affect GP practices. The Medical Laboratory Scientists Association says it's made every effort to try to avoid the disruption to patients and fellow healthcare workers but they feel now they have been left with no alternative. Joining me, one of those medical scientists, that's Mairead Moynihan, who is from Kule, and she works in University Hospital at uh, Kerry. Uh, good morning, to you, Mairead Good morning. How uh, are you? And I'm very well. I'm very well, and thank you for t- well, thank you for taking our call. Am I right in saying that this is the first time that scientists have gone on strike in this country?
4: Absolutely, it's the first time in fifty years. We've never had to resort to taking this type of action, and. Um, It's unprecedented for us. This is not in our nature. We're always conscious of how much we're impacting the um, patient, our working class on the patient, and we're always looking patients for us. But we have been pushed into this situation. It's not one that we want to be in. We're not in a little type of crew, as seen by the fact that it's 50 years since we've taken any ever serve strike notice on our employer. Um, and, and I, I like, we,
2: I was reading, I was reading reports of some of the medical scientists being described as absolutely exhausted. Talk to me about a typical working week.
4: Yes, it's correct to say we're absolutely exhausted. We've just come through, and we see COVID and um, uh, cyber attack. But before that, we have twenty percent of our vacancies in our posts across the country, and how that affects us is that we don't have enough scientists to be able to cope with the amount of work that's coming through and that's excluding the fact that we have retirees. We have um leaves like matte leaves and Stick Leaves that are uncovered. I mean some of my colleagues that are out there striking today, they're working a one in seven um out of hours roster. So that means that on top of their thirty seven hour week they're they're also having to man uh twelve hour shifts which are nights and weekends. Um in a typical week, there's nine of those. So one from every day of the week, two on Saturday and two on Sunday, and two on bank holiday Mondays, if you take it. So they're having to swap the minimum of two 12-hour shifts on top of their 37-hour week, and that doesn't include overtime. And that's just to keep the system going at the moment. So we're, we're in the ageing population. Our new graduates are not staying when they see these kind of conditions and the pay inequality that's that is, that is involved as well. And we are just we're, we're broken at this stage. We're just barely surviving.
2: Yeah, we so, you know, the hours you mentioned there, you're talking about people working like sixty hour working week, which yes. is which is which is incredible. Why I'm are you short why are you short twenty percent of staff though? What's the reason? We, we can't
4: get our new graduates to stay in the system. Oh, we can't and we're we're just under so much pressure that they're just not willing to work. They feel that they're not valued. When we talk about skill and equality, I'm, the practical aspect of that and how it shows up is that our new graduates are not going to. They're not going to stay in the system. They come in. They spend five years in college, another four years in college, and another year being trained, us in the hospitals. And when they see the type of work that we're doing and the pressure that we're under, and as well as that, the out of our um, commitments that we give, they're just going look, I can, I can get better paid in this working for less hours in this private sector working in the pharmaceuticals and all of our good graduates are heading that way. We're losing such a, a valuable resource to the system.
2: Yeah, and I assume it, and I take it it's the same with a, a lot of other professions. Some yeah. of them are deciding to go overseas and we're we're educating our young people and we're just exporting them and other countries then are getting the benefit of our wonderful education system by these fantastic graduates going to work overseas.
4: Absolutely, and not even in our case, but you can see a thriving pharmaceutical industry here and they're just stepping straight in. They're swiping them up before, before they're even... They've even graduated.
2: And paying conditions are better?
4: Absolutely. Now, we warned the government that this would happen back in 2016 if they didn't um, rectify this this um, problem that we had. And while they listened to it, they have still done nothing about it. Even up to yesterday, we were in the WRC yesterday, still trying to sort out, um, try to talk and try to get a solution so that we don't have to go and strike again next week or the week
2: after. Bush. Because if if my memory serves serves me right, I'm sure your union you had threatened strike action back in March, but then you, uh, but but you you went into some kind of negotiations, did you at that stage?
4: So at the start of the year, we requested a meeting for with um, peace bank, which would be the resolution dispute resolution section of the national pay agreement. Um, and we heard nothing from them. And on the 10th of March, we served strike notice on our employer. Um, We were invited to talks on the 31st of March, which was the day after our intended strike, on condition that we rescind our strike action, which we did. And we met with them, um, had a further meeting on the 27th, and still no resolution, no proposal, with Pussy us that we could take to our members. And we then served notice on them again. So this this is the second time we've served notice on them. Now, we were still open to talk, but we were not sending our notice unless we had a proposal that we could take to our members. And we were invited to the WRC yesterday and we had our members were there and discussing, but it's the same people that they're discussing the same issues with once again. Yeah, so, so we have no proposal
2: to be to bring that to our members. Yeah, it sounds like you you're ju- you're just going around in circles. And the pay yes. parity recommendation. Am I right yes. in saying that's been on the table since two thousand and one?
4: Yes. So <sighs> there was a review. Over twenty laboratory. years ago. Yes. There was a laboratory re- review report um done in two thousand and one which recommended that both groups by like chemists and medical scientists be paid the same because they were both doing the same work that was put before the the um, Minister of Health at the time, which me on Martin, and it, it was accepted and put in place. And for a few months, parity did exist. But when the National Pay Talk started in 2002, that parity, that tie between us, was broken. And we have been spending 20 years trying to resolve this issue. Now, as you can see, we haven't served strike notice in 20 years. So our means of trying to address this has been through talks and ultimately talks is what's going to solve this issue. But we've lessened, we've been pushed by our members who are saying we're not staying and we're not putting up with this and it's taking this action today. Uh,
2: um, and then on the practicalities of what you're doing today, um, Mairead, what, 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 what does this mean? I mean, you're not saying that no laboratory work is going on today.
4: No, so part of our, um, is that we provide an emergency service, which is the those out of um service that I mentioned earlier. So today we're providing that emergency service to the hospital here, which will cover wards like E&E, ICU, high de- um, high dependency units, critical care units. Um, so they will be, that's our out-of-hour service. On top of that, then we have been in negotiations with the government, with the HSE, um, in the past week or so, for derogations for different wards or different situations such as maybe, such as oncology and different types of scenarios, extra um, testing that we are doing on top of our emergency service. But we have to said to them, for everyone that we take on of those, we have to be mindful that we have to protect the emergency um, urgent, non-deferrable service that we are providing. So if it becomes too busy for us today and providing those, then we have to bring more... We have obviously got more staff that we can bring in to, in to meet that demand. But again, we are striking at the moment. And I've just come in from the picket line there and I have to say, I've asked my colleagues, how are they getting on out there? And they said they're just so appreciative of the support that the public have given us and they want that to be acknowledged. They just, they're just amazed by it and to thank them so much. And we so appreciate it because we really need it now to put the government under pressure to try and solve this so that we don't have to go back out there again.
2: Well, you know, I think the, the fact of where we started, that this is the first time the scientists have ever gone on strike, shows you're not a militant group. You're doing it because you really are. And I can hear it in your voice. You're at the end of your theater and you're, you're exhausted and you've tried every other avenue. People, as you say, talks are the way around uh, this. And if, if you get nothing out of today, uh, Marade, what's the plan? Will you be back on the picket line again?
4: We have two days ah. next week and three days the week after. So Tuesday, next week, and Wednesday. And then the following week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And that third week runs into the bank holiday. So we, are, we just don't want to be in that position. Okay. We need this to be sorted. Okay. And again, as I say, thank you so much to the public and to all our support staff that we have here working in the hospital for all the help they have given and for the acknowledgement of the, the dire straits that we're in here.
2: Well, you, s- um, you certainly have sold it very well and you're, you're certainly not coming across as an unreasonable uh, group. Listen, Marey, it's been uh, a pleasure speaking to you. I hope that everything gets sorted out and, and that you get exactly what you deserve to get. And by getting, by getting what you deserve, it may then encourage more of those younger graduates coming out to look to the public sector because you play such a vital, vital role uh, within our hospitals. So we leave it there, Marey, and thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning, to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Mairead Moynihan. She even sounds exhausted, doesn't she? she even just chatting, just there on the phone. Uh, medical scientist, she's as I say, from Kule, but she's working in University Hospital Kerry, and she's part of the Medical Laboratory Scientists Association, who are on a nationwide strike across the country uh, today, simply for b- better working conditions and this long-standing uh, pay. And it is long-standing. I mean, to have a recommendation that's been on the table since two thousand and one and here we are at uh, 2022. Seems really bizarre. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text WhatsApp 086 103 103. See 103 jobs.
1: With Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time and professional courses. Succeeding together with mtu.ie
2: HP Ice Cream they're looking for relief sales driver with a C-licence. They're also looking for seasonal merchandisers. Call Tim at 86 7708433. Health care assistants and staff nurses. are wanted for Nazareth House in Drumahan. CVs please to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com. A handyman is required for gardening, painting and general maintenance. It's in the Castle Magna area. Now this m- work may actually suit a student. 086- 3289004 zero zero and a full time administrator is required for the Blue Cube Hill in Mallow and a caretaker is also wanted for Mallow Youth Centre and the Blue Cube full job description and application forms are available on their website www.cdys.ie forward slash vacancies you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to C103 .ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
1: Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale,
2: now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for
1: motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
2: According to research undertaken for Focus Ireland, uh, a quarter of single people experiencing homelessness are effectively stuck in emergency accommodation, which they are then forced to use as their long-term home. Joining me, one of the co-authors of the research, and that's Cliona Barrett of University College Dublin. Good morning to you, Cliona. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Now, when we talk about emergency accommodation, uh, what are we talking about here? Ho- somebody living in a hotel or a and b Hotel, B&B,
5: uh, homeless hostel. So this research is set in the Dublin context, and it is specifically about single adults so most of them will be in homeless hostels provided by people like Focus Ireland or Simon Community or Peter McFerry.
2: And when people enter this type of accommodation do they believe that it's only going to be short term I mean the name is in the title Emergency Accommodation
5: I wouldn't be able to answer that I'm afraid that wouldn't be, I, I use the data from the DRHE which is the Dublin Region Homeless Executive so I'm looking at how people are using the system rather than why. And I I haven't had that conversation with people who are using the system.
2: But, but how difficult is it for somebody to live long term in a hostel or in a hotel room?
5: Uh, again, <laughs> um, uh, I imagine challenging, but I haven't, again, I haven't talked to people who
2: have you were just, that? okay, you were just I physically just look looking at the, at the data. No, at, at, at,
5: yeah, at, I look at, at the, the numbers. I look at the numbers. Okay, um, and, and were, so you,
2: were you able to tell how long people are trapped in this situation?
5: So my data looked at three years and there were people who were using for the full three years or who used DEA for the full three years that I looked at. Now most people who were in that data did not use for the full three years um and so that that long term group that i was talking about are people who use the system for more than 6 months yeah. uh so yeah
2: yeah and of course we we know we have a serious housing problem right throughout the country but even more acute for the one and two bedroomed units
5: exactly so that is a big kind of push in my that my research is showing is that uh we need more one and two bedroomed apartments and houses, and there's there's a lack not only in the social housing sector, but in general, that's come out recently from the, the DAF report, that there's very little rental accommodation available. So it's finding accommodation to move to. So people are using emergency accommodation because there isn't accommodation available.
2: Yeah.
5: In it's like Just in general, that um, it's very hard to find affordable accommodation, and it's really hard to find one-on-two bed units.
2: And of the single people, Kleena, were you able to get a breakdown? Is it more men than women or is it equally split?
5: In, in single adult homelessness, it's mostly men. It's about, about 80% men.
2: And it, was there any breakdown in age groups? Or
5: Yeah, so that's, I looked a lot at age, actually. So it's kind of primarily people between the ages of kind of 18 and 45. Is that That's the, the biggest age group. Um, there are less older people uh, in single adult homelessness. That, that was my smallest group, actually.
2: God, that's shocking, isn't it? There's very young men. Very young men. A lot of very young men. And really trapped. You know, there's it's, it's almost a feeling that they're, that that they're trapped. Okay, did you come up then with what you thought might be possible solutions?
5: Mostly housing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's going to surprise no one. It's mostly housing. Um, and then it, it's just looking at, like it's the, starting the conversation around how we deliver emergency accommodation. so are there alternatives that we might look at Um, and there are alternatives in other countries Um, so one example that I always go back to is the Finnish housing first model where people get their own accommodation um, where they can have a bit of privacy and a bit of stability Um, and that's one and we already have a version of that for um, families which is own front door accommodation Uh, In Dublin, certainly we have it anyway. Um, And so that might be possible to look at for single adults. So it's just looking, I suppose, it's looking a bit broader going forward, saying, okay, while we're looking at expanding what housing we have in the country, how do we also look at what other accommodation types we might have? And it's just starting that conversation that it's not... I suppose uh, looking at, at from, from a narrow view, but trying to broaden that conversation and dro- broaden that view and look at what other things we can bring in to tackle this issue.
2: Yeah, other other solutions. Other solutions. Was was one of the worst decisions, cleaner, especially for single people, when we got rid of the traditional bedsits.
5: I don't know, <laughs> like. When you look at some of the traditional bed in Dublin, and I have stayed in some of them, okay. they're not particularly nice. Yeah. So I, I do think that this kind of push to improve accommodation is really good. Um, and I think we should continue down that road. Like living in one room long term isn't great either. So I think it is a broader conversation about how we want accommodation to look in this country. It's a really hard and really complex conversation, but it's one that I think we should have moving forward. And that involves as kind of everyone, that involves the general public and that involves builders and that involves the government and local authorities, like everybody needs to be involved in that thing. OK, what do we want this to look at so we don't come into this problem again? So how can we, I suppose, make a better future for housing in this country and not fall back into this pattern in the future?
2: Yeah, and we have a housing crisis. We, we, we know do. we have a housing crisis. Something has to be done uh, And that's, about it. And, And
5: that conversation is starting to happen. So it is bringing in that kind of saying, well, how do we make sure vulnerable people don't end up in insecure housing? How do we make sure that people have access to housing, even if they don't have a kind of big income or even if they're reliant on social welfare, whatever it may be? How do we make sure that everybody has access to housing as we're tackling this housing crisis, that we're not just creating housing for one particular group of people, Mm -hmm. be it families or be it single people or be it middle class people or be it people on the door, whatever it is, that we're not creating one type of housing for one type of person, but that we're creating uh, housing that kind of fits everyone in the Ireland we're living in today, which is very different to you know, previous housing policies from 50 years ago or 80 years
2: ago. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a, that's a really good point. And we can't forget those single people that you're talking about in your report that are effectively stuck in emergency accommodation. And, and my fear would be that that number will just get bigger if we don't, you know, wake up and smell the roses and, and include make sure this group is included when we're going forward with housing.
5: And that's it's, it's yeah, creating a more inclusive and diverse housing system. And it's also, like, and I would say, like a lot of, most people do, get out of emergency accommodation that they're not stuck indefinitely. Now we have a group who are staying a very long time. That data is from 2016 to 2018 and it is only for the Dublin region. So like people in Cork might be using their emergency accommodation differently and most of the people in my data would have moved on by this stage. So there is I suppose a kind of I don't want to say that like everybody's getting caught indefinitely because that's not true. People are sorting themselves out and people do find accommodation and people do move on. But also we have to kind of go, okay, but there's people who are finding that really challenging. Mm. And we need to look at how we can kind of facilitate their moving on from emergency accommodation because that shouldn't be people's long term accommodation.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah. Okay. okay. Well done. Well done on, on the research, uh, Clina, And thank you for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning, dear. You. Bye bye. You that too, is Kleena uh, Barade of University College Dublin on that research on uh, emergency accommodation, particularly for single people, single men in the main. 0818 103, 103 John Paul, taking your calls. And there was a text in WhatsApp in from Claire uh, earlier to say, Hi, Patricia. Now that the government's uh, electricity allowance credit, has actually appeared on my bill the 201 cent Uh, it has uh, my bill came in at 192.08 so I'm wondering who's getting the 7 euro 93 cent I hope it's not the electricity company Claire's bill came in at under the 200 euro no Claire. what happens is that credit remains in place and the 7 euro 93 that you didn't spend in the last two months in your electricity that will come off your next bill so don't worry you'll still get the full 200 euro credit whether it is split over. Uh, one, two, we can even go to three bills, however many bills uh, until you have used it. It's not the electricity company. It's it's uh, The the credit is onto your account. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Sean
1: Cusack Insurances as Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G
2: Now a Mallow family are about to have the family's dream come true in time for summer with the building of a safe garden for their very spe- special little nine-year-old daughter to discuss a garden for Faith by the Cleaner Foundation. I'm joined by Faith's mum and that's Lisa Brown. Good morning to you, Lisa. Hi, Professor. Uh, how are you? I'm very well and, and, and great to speak to you. I can't believe that little Faith is already nine. I suppose, can you take us back and remind us of the challenges that little Faith was born with? Yes. Um, faith
6: she was um, she was born at 30 weeks with a condition called non-immune hydrops. Um she was given 10% chance of survival Um after five days in the, the neonatal the family were called in to to say goodbye to her but um, they said I don't know what you're doing here I'm not going anywhere so she, she just got better and better and better and she spent three months in the the neonatal um, at the time she was we were told that she had severe um, brain injury brain damage um, she had she now has cerebral palsy she has epilepsy and she was also born deaf. In both ears, and she wears cochlear implants to to help with speech and hearing.
2: And I know I I follow you on Facebook, and she always, uh, when she's well and not in pain, she mm-hmm. has the most gorgeous smile, and yes. she is the I mean, and she's stunningly beautiful. But she's she is. always comes across as just such a happy little girl, even allowing for all of those disabilities that she has. It, she she doesn't let it stop her living no, life to the definitely,
6: best. Yeah. Definitely not. She doesn't. Face is the most determined, smiley, happy um, little girl that you could ever meet. She's just, she's got a strength in her that just oozes out of her, basically. Um, and if my memory the, serves
2: me right, did you take her to the States for surgery? Yes,
6: we took her to the States in 2017, for SBR surgery, um, to help with her, to help with her her legs and her hands and stuff like that. But she she did fantastic. Um, she 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 was able to walk in a walker up to, um, we'll say three months ago. She's she's only three months post-op major hip surgery.
2: Yeah, what, what what what? she ended up in a lot of pain, did she, with her hips?
6: Yes. Um she was in a cast for six weeks. She was in casts um two big casts on her feet, um, from her feet up to her thighs. And when she came home she got desperate bone pain and muscle spasms and she was just it she was just not herself for two weeks. She was just crying. Roaring, screaming, um, sleepless nights, just trying to get her to, to take medication. Um, the medication wasn't really helping her, so we had a terrible two weeks. But thank God she came out of it. Um, what they had to do to her hip um, to, to reconstruct it is just unbelievable how she's doing now.
2: And she's out of pain, which is the big thing.
6: She's, she's out of pain now she's still she's still in a bit of pain when you go to change her and stuff she's very reluctant to yeah. to put the leg down Yeah. Um. so she has to have a lot of busy or rehab hydrotherapy so it's going to be a long road of recovery again
2: Okay but she's on that road she's on that she road is, and she she's is, such a yeah. fighter and she's so oh, determined She's
6: definitely a fighter <laughs> Now,
2: yeah. now you, this, this garden firstly how unsuitable is your current garden?
6: Um, the unsuitability of the garden would be that it's all curbs, it's unlevel, and Faith actually had a fall last year in the in the garden. So my heart was out my mouth. I just said to Dave, I said that they need to do something about the garden because it's not safe for her, and I want to have her out and out there in the summer. So we just we. We sat down and we said, How are we going to to cover the cost of doing it? Because it's quite a big garden. And we just we said that we'd sell the car. You can't sell your car.
2: You can't sell your car. We
6: said that we'd sell the family car. But you see, with FH, it's been through so much. I just wanted to, to, to do
2: something. I know, I know. I, I and yeah. listen, every yeah. other mother listening, you'll well, exactly. we, we'll, we'll, we'll go to any lengths. But That's it. rather than having to sell your little family car, the mm-hmm. Cleaner Foundation,
6: and, Fantastic it, and, foundation. and
2: is it the Connacht, the Connacht Construction Company from Limerick? Connacht. Connacht. So I, I was yes. wondering how you pronounce it. Okay, um, firstly, the Cleaner. Michael clean, the, Healy Architects. The Cleaner the Cleaner Foundation, yes, um, are are just a wonderful charity. We've we've oh, spoken about them before, and they help families who have very special little girls uh, like Faith. So so yes. so and they they help with families who've got a child with a life limiting uh, illness. So they they agreed to help out. So so what has happened between them, the construction company and the architect? They've come in and decided to do what?
6: They've come in and if um, we had a very kind of emotional meeting about two or three weeks ago with the team there's a kind of a a, a, a big team involved, there's about seven or eight um, there's Cornac Constructions, there's Cleaners themselves and there's Michael Healy Architect and all the rest of the people involved as well but they came in and they just looked at the back garden and I I presume that Michael Healy with his expertise that he just looked at the garden and he knew exactly what to do for faith. It's just going to be wheelchair accessible, wheelchair friendly, it's going to be safe, it's going to be level um, and I think she's going to have kind of a staff play area where she can go into herself and do what she wants to do Brilliant. while we can sit out and watch her and she's safe.
2: Yeah, and it can Or be, she Alan... can
6: go on her trike or she can go in the wheelchair and hopefully in a couple of months time when she's strong enough to walk in her walker again.
2: Yeah, because that's the long term plan when she recovers from the hip operation, isn't it, is to have her up and walking. Yes, yeah, 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 and and is she a type of child, Lisa, that likes to be out in nature, that likes to be outside? She loves it. Does she? Yes, yeah, loves
6: yeah. it. Um, she's just she loves um, playgrounds. She loves everything to do with the outside, even when she's inside. Now, when we had her at home, we've had her at home for three months after the surgery, and that was because she. She had to sit down after the surgery. But you could see it in her desk. I wasn't even able to put her into the wheelchair because I just couldn't take her out. She was so sore. But you could see that she wanted to go out. Mm. But I had nowhere to take her. I I could have taken her down to Aldi. But she just wants to... She just loves nature. She loves colourful things. She loves everything to do with playgrounds. She's just, she's quite adventurous.
2: So she'll have her own little magic area right outside yeah, the back door, which is brilliant.
6: When does work
2: begin, Lisa?
6: They're hoping to have her in there for the summer. And it's gas because, see, even though she can't walk herself, she she's constantly looking up in her tablet. She wants a trampoline. She wants a bouncing castle. <laughs> so she's funny.
2: <laughs> she knows what she wants that's that's oh, for sure and does, she yeah. a, and school is the Holy Family School in Charleville
6: yeah she yeah. goes to Holy Family now she's just gone back um, she used to go to five days but we'll only send her for the two and three just to get back into it yeah but um, she's starting hydrotherapy today so
2: okay brilliant and happy to get on the bus every day and head off oh looks getting that's... on the
6: bus loves all her bus pals um, she's very cheeky on the bus is she... <laughs> she is yeah, She's got. She's got a few words for the bus driver and her bus escorts, but they're they're they've got their own banter.
2: Well done, well done. And she's listen. She's a credit uh, to you and and Dave. And you've an older daughter, don't you?
6: I have a Lydia. Big, Lydia, um, the
2: big sister, the big sister. Yeah,
6: she's she's
2: sixteen.
6: She and okay. She's she's fantastic with her as well. And Lydia's just ten months post final surgery.
2: Okay, listen. You're you It's a tough journey you've been on, but you've you're always you always seem to do it with with a smile. So um, yes. Faith is lucky to have you as her mammy as well. That's, oh, thank that's you. for sure. Listen, best of luck with the garden. We'll be looking forward to seeing the end results. But yeah, uh, thanks. of course like
6: we're so excited now um, to see the the finished project, and just can't wait to see Faith. Faith.
2: Okay. Listen, enjoy, Lisa, and thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank
6: you so much. Good morning
2: to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, uh, Lisa Brown. Mammy of little faith from Mallow and well done to everybody involved in that programme uh, project as I say it's kind of like a DIY SOS but it's out in a garden rather than in a house so well done to the Cleana uh, Foundation and uh, with Konak Construction and also the architect that was mentioned there by Lisa Michael uh, Healy people are so great and so kind and giving when a need arises for sure Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. 103 103 talking of gardening you can get your garden gardening questions in to us uh, please and don't forget in the next hour we will be opening the text message service for our Mallow Home and Gardens uh, Festival. A new chance to be today's qualifier for the Palmer Ratten Modular Sofa set on what is a tough well known person who loves
0: her gardening. Let's take another listen You did what you thought was right It's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much
2: The only clue we're giving is that she was once a well-known face in on EastEnders. But which former EastEnders
0: star? Who is she? You did what you thought was right. That's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Competition time of the day. This competition we've been running all week with the Mallow Garden Festival, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals and a top prize at the end of the week of a Parmaraton modular sofa set. You'll be set up in the garden this summer if you win our modular sofa set. All this week we've been playing audio of a well-known person who loves his or her garden. And I can already see from some of the answers that have been coming in because I think today's is really, really tricky. It took me quite some time to work out who this is.
0: You did what you thought was right. It's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much. And
2: all where the... the Hints, the only hint so far that I'm allowed to give you is she's a well known English actress and she, we knew her better at one stage when she used to be strolling around Albert Square. Now, I've asked John Paul, is it okay to tell you the wrong answers that we've been getting in so far? We haven't had a right answer now. By the way, you're only meant to be sending them in from now anyway, so you can get texting or WhatsApping if you think you know who it is to 0862 103, 103 I can tell you that it is not Lisa Fowler. A lot of people are saying that and it is not Linda Carter and by the way it's the it's not her name of what she was in EastEnders because obviously she went on to do other parts as well Uh, we actually need her real name in order to win the competition today it's not Daniela Westbrook it is not Natalie Evans somebody else is suggesting is it Bonnie Langford it's not Bonnie Langford uh, it's not Martine McCutcheon. That's a suggestion in from uh, Chris. Uh, l- a couple of people saying Martine McCutcheon. It's not. And somebody else saying Charlie Clemens, a.k.a. Bradley Bra- Branning from Una. No, they are all incorrect. And it is not Jacqueline Jossa either. A number of people had made that suggestion. Who is
0: this? You did what you thought was right. It's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much. And Sadie is saying Daisy uh, Turner
2: no it's not Lacey Turner either. <laughs> I, okay. John Paul says I'm to, I'm to leave the text message and the WhatsApp open for a, a little while. Let people have their guesses. We may have to come back to you uh, with more Clues on uh, this one. Uh, let's wait and see. But get texting or WhatsApping if you think you know uh, today's answer. Oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. We leave the text and WhatsApps so open for about ten minutes, and then we select today's qualifier that goes forward to the draw, which will be held on Friday, and we'll make a draw, and somebody will win the Parma Ratten modular sofa set. In association with the Meadow Homes and Garden Festival, there's over 200 exhibitors taking part uh, this uh, year. They have they reckon five million plants go up on sale during the course of the festival and I know I've been at the festival nearly every single year that it's been on and by the end of it there's very few plants left people go there and go home with carloads of the most amazing plants you get great ideas for the garden as well and if you're planning on travelling by train which a lot of people decide to do and make a nice day out of it when you get into Mallow train station there is a free bus service a shuttle bus service that they run from the train centre taking people out to the race course which of course is outside Mallow's. That's the Mallow Garden Festival Cork Race Course May 27th, 28th and 29th. Get working on your answers there, please. And while we're waiting on the correct answer today, let me see some of your thoughts uh, coming in to uh, us. Um, Sorry, the text message service now is gone absolutely mad. Let me just see some. Oh, yeah, this was Ed Ed commented on this earlier when I mentioned there was a problem with air email Remember we had a few calls this morning people saying they couldn't log on and we had to get on to air and they came back and explained that they did have a problem yesterday and it got sorted and that people should be okay but people needed to to get rid of the cash, uh, uh, because they, they kept seeing the maintenance page come up, so we were explaining to people what they needed to do in order to access their Air uh, email. That prompted Ed to say, "Patricia, I can't believe that people are still using Air email." I Ed says I changed over to Gmail. Remember at the time when Air decided to charge five ninety nine a month, so Ed sent that text in, and then almost a couple of minutes later, he we said, "Well, I've just seen that charge is nine ninety nine a month now." So Ed is surprised that people are still paying to have their email accounts when you have the likes of google uh, where you can get your emails uh, for free but obviously Ed, a lot of people do because we certainly had a number of calls in today uh, from people who have air email who were having problems uh, with it on the 200 euro electricity credit that we we touched on because somebody's just got it in on their uh, bill some people are i mean i certainly got mine couple of, about six weeks ago, so it was the bill for February and March, I think I got the €200 off uh, mine so February, March, April, May it'll be into June before I get my next bill somebody is just making the point uh, about by the time the next bill arrives everybody will be paying the full amount on their electricity, the 200 euro that the government gave will not be coming off the next uh, bill and somebody says bear in mind that added into that there will be an increase of 23% on top of most people's electricity bill. What are people supposed to do? Many people will end up in arrears because they simply will not be able to afford to pay their next electricity bill and this listener says I was doing some shopping in one of the German retailers earlier this morning and I noticed the two you know the two liter tub of milk's gone up by twenty cent not twenty percent twenty cent since since last week everything everything is going up and I'm sure I mentioned it on Monday and I might have mentioned it the previous Monday as well I'm one of those kind of traditional people in that I do the big shop on the weekend and there's nothing extra in the big shop, you know it's kind of you know almost I can then let the trolley off and it would find everything that I need to go in you know week on week it's the same. Maybe an odd week you might have to get some more toiletries or more kitchen products, cleaning products, but generally speaking it's in and around the same, and it's usually in and around the same price uh, every week, and week on week that there's nothing extra in the trolley except my bill is getting higher and higher every. Single week, and it might be just like that twenty cent on you know. Some say, well, it's sure, twenty cent on two liters, two liters of milk, but if things, are, if everything's going up, if something's going up by five cent, by ten cent, by by twenty cent, and you have a big trolley load, or you're feeding a large family, then when you do get to pay the bill, uh, it really, it's. Everything is going up, and I just again I come out of the supermarket every week, thankful that I can pay for it. But thinking of families that are on a very fixed income, and if you've got a lot of children and you're on a fixed income, how in God's name? our families coping. It really, really the cost of living really is starting to bite. And that listener is right. Wait until the next electricity bill comes in and I'm I'm expecting we will have a flood of calls in from people because the electricity bill is going to be even higher than it normally is because it's been going up all of the time. And uh, you know, that credit, that extra bit of help from the government is not going to be there on the next bill. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three And John was on to us about the people who were talking about getting charged for their prescription charges. And this was kicked off earlier this morning, who for the first time has been charged 20 euro his GP practice, even though lots of people said Vincent's done well that most GP practices have been charging for quite some uh, time, even though we did get one or two, not very small number of calls, in from people saying that their doctors still don't charge for a repeat prescription, but there's very few GP practices not charging at this stage. And John says, Patricia, listen, at the end of the day, people have to uh, remember that a doctor's practice is not a charity. They're a profit organisation. They're, they're in business. Uh, they, they might be a total caring profession, but they still have to charge. They still have bills to pay. They still have mortgages to pay. They still have all of the family bills to pay. They also have the running, the physical running of the GP practice and that would have increased. Cost of doing business for everybody has gone up. Their electricity costs would have gone up. Their insurance costs, I imagine, are gone through the roof. So like every other business, says John, be it farmers, be it supermarkets, be it accountants, be it big industry, etc., a GP practice is the very very same. So John has absolute full understanding as to why GPs and feel the necessity to charge for something extra, like people ringing in. And there's, there's, there's work involved in it as well for the staff, so he has full understanding of it. Thank you for your WhatsApp Um, John to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary
1: With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie.
2: A charity bungee jump is going to take place at the Arches Bar in Mallow on the June Bank Holiday weekend on the Monday of the June Bank Holiday, June 6th Proceeds are in Aid of Cystic Fibrosis Ireland and the Mallow Search and Rescue Group. You can register to take part In the charity event by contacting Emma at 086-235-1674. And as part of Cork Bike Week, in Community Centre are hosting a community cycle for all this evening. They'll start from the community centre at half past six. And if you're taking part, you've got a choice of two routes. You can do a six kilometre cycle or you can do a 17 kilometre cycle. And if you want to bring the children along, that's absolutely fine. But children must be accompanied by adults. And as with House in Mallow, they are looking for volunteers. They are looking for help updating their gardens they're looking for help to run an internal shop for a couple of hours every day so that residents can purchase their own goodies. All the products, by the way, will be, will be supplied. You'll just be manning the shop. They're also looking for volunteers to help the activity coordinators with outings, to do sing-songs with the residents, etc. All volunteers will need to be guided vetted and to have two written references. But if you think you could help, and maybe you've been thinking about volunteering and you'd like to get involved with Nazareth House, then can you uh, contact the Director of Nursing on 022 21561. Or you can email Don dot mallow at nazarethcare.com and castle magna Shirt club are holding their bealsana celebrations on this friday with a concert starting at 8pm young and old Will enjoy an evening of song, dance, and storytelling. Also, enjoy a copper and a chat. Everybody welcome. Admission 10 euro with children getting in for free.
1: Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
2: Let's clear the text message service on our competition uh, because we want the text message service to be available for questions for
0: Peter Dowdle. You did what you thought was right. It's all any of us can do. The key to this job is not to care too much and also to care too much. Okay, now
2: I have to say a number of people got it right. A large number of people also got it wrong. She played Tanya in EastEnders. She also played the role of headmistress Mandy Carter in Akeley Bridge and she played Lou in the detective drama Shakespeare and Hathaway and her real name is Jo Joyner. Uh, And our winner is, who got it correct, Maria Coughlin from Rothcorma. Congratulations to you, Maria. You are today's qualifier. You take a step closer to winning a Parma Ratten Modular Sofa Set. So Joe Joyner uh, was the name of that uh, lady. And John Paul tells me tomorrow was easier. (laughs) Thank you for that. And remember, it's all in association with the Malahoma Gardens Festival, which runs at the Cork Racecourse, May 27th, May 28th, and May 29th with C103. And we certainly had fun with that competition uh, today. And thank you to everybody who took time out to text our WhatsApp. As Joan Infamoy heard me mention about somebody who was out doing their shopping this morning in one of the retails, at one of the German uh, discounter stores, and noticed that the own brand. Two litre drum of milk has gone up by 20 cents over last week. Well, Joan says, Has anybody noticed the price of butter has gone up? Joan says this is own brand butter. She says it's gone up 80 cents in the shop where she does her weekly shopping. And she said that was in one week alone. She said she always used to buy branded butter, but she had to stop buying that because there was such a difference between the branded butter and the own brand butter in the supermarket. But she says now even the own brand butter is going up in uh, price. She says the cost of living is really catching everybody. And she said while the fuel allowance is is go is gone isn't it's gone for this season anyway she said there will be there's a lot of us she said who don't get the fuel allowance we're paying for everything and she said at the end of the day Butter is a basic. It's a basic item. It's you know it's something that you'd put into the basket every week. It certainly is not a luxury, says uh, Joan. Thank you for that, Joan. To oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three, and James was on to us. I think it was yesterday to say he had occasion this week. I think it was on Monday. He had occasion that he had to go on the train to Dublin. He had to leave our beautiful Cork for a day. He had a bit of business to do in Dublin. He hasn't been in Dublin in quite some time. So he said he was up on the early train, and he said he, you know, booked his seat, got on the train, blah blah blah, everything fine. And he said he was really looking forward to having breakfast on the train and a cup of coffee. And uh, he said suddenly he noticed there was no catering on the train, and he was talking to another passenger who said who's a regular traveller said no, there hasn't been catering for quite some time. I think it's to do with COVID. And James got on to us and said, come on, surely the restrictions of COVID have been li- li- lifted. Why was there no catering on the train. And he said by the time he got to Dublin, his tongue was hanging for his morning cup of coffee and he wonders if we could find out when would catering be coming back on the trains. He said he really, really missed it last Monday morning while trying travelling to Dublin. Well, I can tell you, James, I bring you not good news or to anybody else who regularly commutes on the train. There will be no onboard catering service on Irish Rail's intercity services until... At least next year at the earliest. The company is about to tender for a new catering service provider, and that was following the ending of the contract between Erin Rotherin and Rail Gourmet. Rail Gourmet were the company that had that uh, contract, but Rail Gourmet say they've been struggling to get staff to work following the lifting of the pandemic restrictions. So the catering services on the Dublin to Belfast... If you're going on, if you get to Dublin, then you need to hop on the Belfast train, then you're in luck because the Dublin to Belfast Enterprise train, now that's operated, by the way, under a separate uh, contract that will continue to operate. It is on a limited uh, basis, but certainly on any of the other intercity railway lines, unfortunately, no uh, catering. The onboard serving of food and drinks on trains was suspended. Now, it did get you know James is right it did get suspended early in the pandemic and that was when COVID restrictions um, and, and then when the COVID restrictions on public transit ended in February the on-board, on-board catering service doomed but just for a very short while in various updates since Irish Rail have been warning its customers that the resumption of the service could be some time away but it is now only confirmed this week that the trains will be without the onboard catering for the, certainly the rest of this year and early into next year as well. They apologise to their customers but they say Rail Gourmet have now advised Ian Rotheran that it is no longer able to provide catering service on the intercity network. It's despite extensive efforts by both Ian Rotheran And Rail Gourmet to see onboard catering services resume following their enforced absence for almost two years because of the pandemic. But since the lifting of face covering regulations in February of this year, Rail Gourmet have not been able to resume services primarily due to the fact of challenges in resolving staffing issues. And obviously, they also have fessed up and said there was additional costs, uh, significant additional costs as well. As a result, they s- decided to go on to Irnur there and say they're going to terminate their uh, contract. The termination of the contract has been agreed. So therefore, now catering services remain suspended. The company say it plans to move quickly, this is Inro there, to commence the process to tender for a new catering contract. However, it does mean that the catering service is unlikely to be back on board until at least sometime in 2023. Now, they're hoping that it could be early 2023. Just don't know how long the tendering contract is going to take. But I'm also fearful if uh, Rail Gourmet, who had the contract, if they're having difficulties getting staff to work on the trains and I don't know is it the anti-social nature of it is it the pay what is it But well, people don't want to work on the trains doing the catering work that's involved and uh, so if they're having problems even if a new company come on board will a new company equally have the same Problems because you would hate to think that we're going to have to be travelling on trains into the future and that we'll never see the day that a catering company will be back on board. But I suppose well done here and there and for at least coming out and saying because any that they were contact, they kept saying oh we're working at it, it should be we're hoping to resume it soon, we're hoping to resume resume it soon, soon. And I think that was frustrating people who regularly use the train because when when is soon? How long is a piece of string? So now definitely for the rest of this year. And early into next year if you're planning any kind of a train trip you're going to need to pack a picnic particularly if you're going during the summer months bring your flask with you and bring your the, the tomato sandwiches that go lovely and soggy and you kind of associate them with the day at the beach, do you not? Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. 103 103 We are looking for your gardening questions please because Peter Dowdell will be joining us soon answering all of your gardening questions. You can text our WhatsApp your gardening questions to 0862103103. 103 103.
1: Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: And Peter Dowdle of the Irish uh, Gardener.com uh, joining me as always on a Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter.
7: Good afternoon Patricia, how are you? I'm
2: very well and we've been talking about the Malahoma Gardens Festival all this week because we have a lovely competition that we're running and I saw your face on the ad today on the Irish Examiner, I'm sure it was. You're obviously doing some of the lectures.
7: That must have brightened up your day.
2: Absolutely, seminars, the word is our thing. <laughs> it did, well, I, made, I mentioned you and said you, I, I've been at some of your seminars in the past and they're always very informative, so, so you are oh, doing good. seminars again this year.
7: I am on the Friday and Saturday, I won't be there on the Sunday, So I'd be there on the Friday and Saturday, and we'll be we'll be, Talking, uh, talking all things gardening and, and obviously taking any questions and answers or, well, taking the questions and hopefully giving some answers.
2: You, you never let people down, you you always have the answers. Okay, there was a WhatsApp came in last week. I don't have it in front of me, but I think you have it. This was from in Bandin who had a problem with what was it, her trees she had a problem with.
7: She had a problem, well, the, the, the one I'm looking at was she had a problem with hydrangeas and rhododendron. How so the it? rhododendron, and I think it'll resonate with a lot of people who grow them. Uh, there's a lot of black spots on the leaves. Uh, and kind of yellowing around it. Now it's it's a it's a rhododendron fungal leaf spot, if you like. Um, and the first the first course of action with it, like with all fungal problems, I always go to the cultural control, which is a kind of a fancy way of saying remove the dead leaves or remove the infected leaves. So that's the first thing to do with this uh, the leaf spots on the rhododendron. So remove as much of the infected growth as possible. Now that might leave the plant quite bare, and it's a fine line, Trish, because. you you can't remove all the leaves because it's an evergreen plant so it needs to photosynthesize but at the same time you want to remove as much of the infection as possible so do that don't put it into the compost bin because it'll only spread so throw them out um and you know it's kind of again sticking with cultural control so improve the growing conditions so make sure it's in good healthy soil it's not getting waterlogged so maybe mulch it with a good uh, even your own homemade compost any good organic material and also keep heading it so when it flowers probably around now uh, remove the flowers when they die off because any of that dead and decaying material as you can imagine is perfect in the, the perfect conditions then for the development of any fungal problems so so you could also then drench the, the soil around the plant with a solution of my go-to fella if you like it's the copper sulfate copper sulfate mixed with water drench around the plant with that and, you know, it's kind of similar for the hydrangea. It's kind of leaf, the leaves are dying off a bit. It could be several things there. It could be a bit of frost damage. It could be that, that it's getting too wet. Um, it could be maybe you overfed it. I don't know if they fed it or not, but overfeeding can lead to that kind of leaf burning as well. Uh, but if it's fungal, I would say in the first instance, just remove any of the infected growth.
2: Okay, Monica. In Mallow, is taking cuttings from geraniums at the moment. Wants to know when is when is the best time to do this, and the best time to take a cutting. When is the best time? And they're they both the same question. Okay, when is the best time to take cuttings from geraniums? Well, basically? well,
7: she's Monica is is kind of ahead of the curve, if you like. It's she's spot on. It's around about now. Depending you, when you're taking a, a cutting from hydrangea, you're taking it on this year's growth, uh, and you want a cutting of about three or four inches in length. So if you have three or four inches in length of this year's growth, then, then go for it now, anytime from now till kind of August, September, really. You'll know, Trish, it's this year's growth by the colour. This year's growth on those geraniums will be, will be green, whereas last year's will be quite brown looking. So you want to concentrate on this year's growth.
2: OK, Joe has a lilac tree planted about eight years ago. Lots of beautiful flowers uh, this year, on, but all high up, none lower down. It also has grown very tall for the area of the garden uh, where Joe has it planted. Would it be OK after flowering to sort of take the top off and would that encourage growth lower down?
7: I'm afraid for Joe, it would, is a short answer to your question. But with lilacs, they're quite peculiar in that. If you prune them, yes, it will lead to growth lower down. But after you prune them, they, they put on a lot of growth. But it's all leaf growth, not flowers, which is kind of counterproductive. At least you will get growth down low, but you won't get the flowers. And and by pruning the top, you'll have removed any flowers, flowers from the top. Yeah. So I don't know what way to advise them. Um, It just seems to be peculiar with, he with, 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 uh, it, it said it was lilac, didn't he? Yeah,
2: lilac, yeah.
7: Yeah, you know, it's, it is peculiar to lilac that, that, that that's what they do. Now, they will well produce flowers. In several years time but i've seen it many many times with lilacs uh, and in fact i just saw one recently i'm not sure where i was and it was full of flower, but it was next to a footpath and obviously the the homeowners were being very responsible and they were pruning it back off the footpath over the years and the side facing the footpath has zero flowers, but all the rest of the shrub is full of flowers. So it's it it's just peculiar to lilac. So uh, I would probably leave well alone if I was Joe.
2: Yeah, and just just enjoy the the flowers that are up high. Uh, Sheila, <laughs> yeah. could you ask Peter please uh, what is the best time of year to trim a mature Lilandi hedge? Uh, it's inside in the garden, not on the road side, so as to help it thicken up. It has some bare patches in it. Many thanks, Sheila.
7: Okay, well, it's important, I suppose, on that one, Trish, to remind everybody that it's illegal to cut back hedges at the moment. At this time of the year, until September, it's illegal under the Wildlife Act because there's wildlife and birds and everything nesting in in mature hedges. So you're not allowed to do it at the moment, Uh, so be careful. It's a mature Leyland hedge, so when there's brown patches in a mature Leyland hedge, it's unlikely that pruning it, unfortunately, will thicken it up that much. But I suppose to give the answer to the question... Your, your time is kind of September uh, or if you didn't do it in September, you could do it in February and it would probably thicken up that bit quicker in February because the growth is starting as opposed to coming to an end in September. Um, so there are your options, September or February, but if it was a relatively new hedge, I'd say it would be quite successful, but with a mature one, it's it's probably not, I'm afraid, going to thicken it up that much, but I suppose it's, it's worth a try in, in either September or February.
2: Now, here's somebody who's doing her best to try to describe what she got as a present, a Mill Street listener says, uh, or she <coughs> purchased. I, I bought an indoor plant at Christmas time. It had orange buds on it, which have now almost all fallen off. It's grown about six, since then, it's grown six inch long stems of a lighter colour with a white blossom on it, but no orange buds on it. Any advice as to what it is or what I need to do with it?
7: It's uh, it's an ornamental pepper. I'm struggling struggling for the the life of me to remember the name of it, but it, it'll come to me in a sec. But what it's doing now is it's producing the new growth, which are these stems, um, and the white flowers are what what, what she had. If I'm right, what what she had is they weren't orange buds; they were orange berries. And the white flowers that she's getting now will become those berries in the winter again. It's, um oh, the Jerusalem cherry. I think it's the common name for it. I'm trying, it's a capsicum. It'll come to me the name, but it's yes. Jer- Jerusalem cherry. I'm imagining, I'm guessing that this is what it is anyway. um uh, oh, It's a type of Stellanum. Anyway, it's known as the, the Jerusalem cherry, if I'm right, but I imagine I am because you'd see them quite a lot as houseplants around Christmas in January with these little orange yeah, berries. They're are, yeah, they're like, uh, a, yeah,
2: they're orange little balls yeah. on it. Yeah, berries rather yes. than buds. Yeah. And I
7: imagine that's what she had. Now, it's it's normal enough that they would fall off and then the these white flowers will become the berries for next winter.
2: OK, so just keep doing what you're doing. Keep And it, it's yeah, an it's, a, it's an indoor plant, so keep it inside. It's in part no. of the world. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's a okay. house plant, yeah. All right. Uh, Dairy in Bojabui has a Portuguese laurel hedge on a bank, which is six years old. It's gone very bare. He can now actually see through it. Happened in the last two months. What could have happened to it and what can be done about it?
7: Without seeing it, it's impossible to give an answer, I'm afraid. Um, but like if it's a, it's, he said it's there several years, didn't he?
2: Yeah, six years.
7: Yeah, so if it's there six years and this is and it wasn't a problem up to now, it's, obviously something is getting it. So like, in other words, if this was a relatively new hedge in its first few years, I would say just prune it uh, and feed it and it'll thicken up quite quickly. But if it's been fine for the last six years and now suddenly it's becoming quite see-through, there's obviously something bothering it but I can't tell what, obviously, because I can't see it. So it could be fungal. It, it's unlikely to be environmental, in other words, wind or anything like that, because that would have been a problem for the previous years. So it's, it's more likely to be something, unless it got a, you know, a drift of weed killer or any chemical that was nearby, that would do it. It could be a fungal problem because these... Uh, uh, Portuguese laurels can be quite prone to things like shot hole and things like that but without seeing it I couldn't give a definitive answer I'm sorry
2: Okay Derry well you might be able to solve his second problem he has uh, tulip bulbs he wants to know when can he dig up those tulip bulbs they've obviously uh, finished flowering and how does he store them over the winter to keep them for next year
7: Well, that's an easy one. I I love the easy ones. They're they're fine. So, yeah, when the foliage on the the, the tulips, I suppose the textbook actually is daffodils and tulips and all of them, alliums as well. Uh, When the foliage dies back and the stems die back and when they've gone brown, lift the bulbs out of the ground, store them in like a brown paper bag or newspaper, wrap them in newspaper, store them somewhere cool uh, and dry until planting out again in the autumn, winter, kind of September, October time again. That's the textbook for all of them. I would say it's essential for tulips, not necessarily for alliums and daffodils. They'll they'll tend to be resilient to come back year after year. Tulips will tend not to if you leave them in the soil. You might get a few next year, but they'll die off over time. So I would lift them certainly.
2: Mick has an archway in his garden with a jasmine plant. Last year, the jasmine plant got covered with a black leaf mould substance. He sprayed it last year with rose clear solution. The plant didn't die and the leaves eventually fell off. But this year, the plant is producing new growth and new leaves. He's wondering what he should do now. Does he need to respray? What does he need to do to protect from that black mould this year?
7: Well, I think you can guess that I'm going to, to not yeah. to, to recommend to them to, to the spray it with clear. rose clear, willy yeah. nilly anyway. Yeah. Uh, so no, we should be using less insecticides in the garden and not not more. Um, and in fact, there was a question, I think last week, I can't remember where I saw it, whether it was on my Facebook page or whether you WhatsApped it to me, but it was somebody had a question about a camellia and it was similar. And I think we've got the same problem here on, on both questions where it was the green camellia leaves were covered in this black substance and it looks for all the world like soot. Right, So it looks like if you got a bag of soot from the chimney and just threw it over the plant and I suspect this is the same with the jasmine and what it's called in fact is sooty mould. So what causes it is the scale insect will overwinter, these are tiny little sap sucking insects, it overwinters in the plant either the camellia or the jasmine and as they're, as they're letting off their larvae they excrete this uh, honeydew type substance, it's very very sticky, uh, and then this black fungal spores stick to it uh, and they colonise it and they increase and multiply. So. To get on top of the problem, you need to you need to to first of all remove the scale insects. Now there are more organic products out there. Uh, in fact, I think one of the grazers ones will work on 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 scale insects. Grazers is a range of products which are based on calcium chloride, which make plants unpalatable to pests. And I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that the one they have for for aphids and and butterflies and caterpillars uh, will also work on scale insects. It's totally harmless. It doesn't doesn't damage any of the insects, but it just makes the plants resilient to them. So if you stop the scale insect, then obviously they can't let off the honeydew and then the fungus can't stick to it. So treat it with something like that first and then treat the fungus with your copper sulphate mixed with water uh, and that will sort out the problem for you.
2: Okay, could you ask Peter, please, I sprayed my potatoes yesterday but then it got some rain afterwards. Would you think I need to spray them again?
7: Well, I'm presuming that they were sprayed with copper sulphate or bluestone, which is a blight preventative. Uh, In which case, no, you should really only treat them with that once a year. Uh, It is, At the end of the day, it's certified for use in in organic gardening and organic agriculture, but it it is copper sulphate, so you don't want to be putting too much of it onto the soil. So one... What I know other people will disagree with me and they'll say you should treat it every few weeks I would just put it on, on, on once during the growing season but no I wouldn't worry about the rain afterwards
2: Okay and thank you to Michael one of our listeners to say Patricia don't forget to mention to Peter Dowdle the Jay's fluid to deter the rabbits because this came up on the programme on Monday Listener had the, as I said it's the annual problem of rabbits coming into her garden eating all the heads off her flowers and we threw open the phone lines and there was loads of suggestions coming in including that rabbit stew is very nice and somebody else suggested getting a <laughs> Uh, a, a Jack Russell Terrier they're very good deterrents to, uh, to the rabbits but <laughs> a number of people started talking about getting an empty plastic bottle like a Coke bottle or a 7-Up bottle put Jay's fluid into it dilute it with water and make some tiny holes around put the lid back on make some tiny holes around the top and you place it near the plants that the rabbits were eating and seemingly it acts as a brilliant deterrent because rabbits don't like the smell of Jay's fluid. And I well, said, "I wonder had Peter Dowdle heard about that? Have
7: you heard of that?" I hadn't heard of it. I hadn't. But I'll tell you a funny one was you know we've spoken before on this about rabbits about human hair. I mentioned and, that one with human hair to is your, a great deterrent. Yeah. yeah. And I was doing a piece with Dahi on the Today Show there recently, and we were talking about rabbits and, and stuff. Uh, and I mentioned human hair. So you can imagine he grimaced a bit like myself. And he yeah. said, like, does it have to be our own hair? And I said, I said, well, Dahi, between yourself and myself, I don't think we protect much garden. <laughs> <laughs> so.
2: and, thank, and thankfully you said it rather than somebody else quickly texting it in. Yes, yeah. yes, well yes, done. Yes, well done. yes. OK, a final yes. one. Could you ask Peter, please? Is it too late to take hedge cutting clippings? Cutting clippings, is it too late?
7: Uh, I, I'm uh, well, like I said earlier, it's illegal to do it now under the Wildlife Act. Even but if you cli- if you want clippings. to just take some cuttings, yeah, cuttings, it's not too late. Cuttings, okay. you'll be fine to take okay. a few now, but don't be cutting your hedge back properly now, no,
2: okay. But just to plant on, it's okay. All right, listen, yeah, uh, Peter, we'll talk again next week. Thank you for that.
7: Thanks, Rachel for And
2: have a good week. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener dot com. We were talking about the price of everything going up and that's triggered a lot of people. Somebody says a three litre tub of milk has gone up by 30 cent to €2.59. This listener says, why is milk gone up? It's produced here in Ireland. I bet the farmers don't get paid extra for their milk. I don't know if there, any of that has been passed on to farmers or not. A lot of people are picking up on the uh, milk uh, Somebody else is making the same price saying that the it it was a three litre tub of milk was two euro. That was a few weeks ago. Then it went up to two euro 29 cents. And then last week it had gone up to two euro 59 cents. So that's another 30 cents. But when you think about a few weeks ago, it was two euro. So it's gone up almost 60 cent in the last few uh, weeks. I noticed it when I went in to just buy two three litre tubs of milk. Yeah, you see it a lot of the times when I was talking about the big trolley shop you don't seem to notice how much everything is you know when you're firing everything in so when you, when you get to the checkout at the end, you start going, whoa, where's everything gone up? But if you run in to just pick up something, one or two items, you really will then start to know, notice the price of it. And a Kerry listener says, hi, Patricia, when you hear of fuel allowance, people immediately assume that everybody on social welfare, all social welfare recipients and especially our senior citizens are eligible for fuel allowance. This is not the case. It's a means tested payment and many elderly people don't uh, qualify. And this Kerry listener says, I feel Every elderly person should qualify because heat is so vital for older people. Gotta go. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. And thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We'll talk to you tomorrow with Channel. Until then, good afternoon. today on C103
1: with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
2: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance? United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.